Marvelites, you're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 417. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Ricky Purden, Director of Talent Relations. Yeah, Ricky! Director! Uh, Ricky is also godfather to my baby. I know. He asked me on the phone, and I started crying, and I was trying to be cool like I wasn't crying because I was in the office because you're not supposed to cry at work or ever as a man. But I did it anyways. Yeah, you got to cry. But I feel like as a new parent, you're going to just all kinds of new emotions. Oh, oh, yeah. Commercials about creamers. Yep. And like billboards for cigarettes. You're just going to be bawling. If you're just joining us for This Week in Marvel, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff that's going on this week in Marvel. From comics to movies, television, games, uh, all kinds of stuff. Normally our co-hosts uh, with me would be Lorraine Sink who is currently on her honeymoon. Yeah. Or James Monroe Iglehart, who is currently uh, vacationing at Disney World. Lucky. So Ricky came in because he's the best and he's happy to help. <laughs> uh, so we have some fun stuff. But we got to start with the top news. Ricky, did you know about this? Because Marvel and SiriusXM have entered a major multi-year deal to create original podcasts for SiriusXM and Pandora. Awesome. Yeah. This one is really cool Yeah. Um, because, yes, your favorite Marvel podcast this week in Marvel and Marvel's pull list are involved. Mm. Ooh. Uh, we will release multiple podcasts over the next several years. And according to my math, that's years of content yes, coming. Yes, plurals. Yeah. Uh, and this includes original fiction series based on Wolverine, mm. Hawkeye, mm. Black Widow, yes. Star-Lord. I know him. Right? Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. Uh, and I know what these are. We're going to have more information about those in time. Yeah. Those are going to be so much fun. Uh, but that's not it because we're also introducing a whole bunch of new unscripted shows premiering in 2020 that are going to go through all, you know our history, uh, sort of looking at them in new ways, talk shows, interview shows featuring celebrity guests, uh, and, of course, just podcasts about our franchise and so much more. Cool. Um, those series will debut exclusively on Sirius, XM, and Pandora before they can be heard anywhere else. Wow. Uh, of course, we can't give you all the details just yet, but you got to come back. We're going to have more information revealed, tons more details about this amazing deal in time. Uh, right now, though, This Week in Marvel and Marvel's pull list, they are available on Pandora, Whoa. Uh, which is the first stepping stone to big things. That's the topest news. We are also going to have a bunch more to talk about in the show. Our big talk is about monsters and art and farting with you, Ricky. Monster farts. Monster farts. I can't wait. Right? Yes. I knew you were going to dig that. Uh, my baby, she farts so much. I'm putting that on the record so when she is older, okay. she can go back to episode 417 of This Week in Marvel and be like, my father talked about my farts. So embarrassing. On his show, How Dare He. She pulls up her crystal that she listens to music on or whatever they have in the future, <laughs> her eye crystal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, of course, we're going to have an interview later this episode. That is with Greg Miller and Nick Scarpino from Kind of Funny. Cool. Uh, I did that with them from their headquarters yeah. in San Francisco, which Whoa. was super fun. And they're great. I'd never met Nick before, but Greg is a good friend. And uh, they were both delightful. <laughs> but that's it for that. Now we're on to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news, colon. Colon, yeah. colon, colon. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we have so many colons? It's so epic. Oh. Uh, Ricky, this means so much to me. We now have time codes for our episode. Do you listen to a lot of podcasts? I, I've, only li I've only listened to like 10 and a half. Okay. Total. Well, when you're looking at the information about an episode yeah. and it says like at this point, this, you know, this is the conversation, what? all those things. That's actually part of the reason I, I haven't listened to more is because sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll turn it off in the middle of doing dishes or whatever, and I'll go back and I'll kick me back to the beginning, and I don't remember where I was, yeah. and then I just throw my phone in the trash. Yeah. You go through so many phones. We talk about this all the time. <laughs> yeah. you got to stop my that. My phone bothers me a lot. Yep. Uh, all right. But there's some really cool stuff happening with Marvel games. Uh, Marvel Future Fight is adding new characters, including... Uncanny X-Men? Yeah. Just the entire Uncanny X-Men? What kind of information is this? I want... <laughs> give me the X-Men! That's dozens. Uh, really cool, though, is Swordmaster and Arrow mm -hmm. from uh, the Agents of Atlas. It's cool to see how the comics influence the games, and then the games influence the comics back and forth. Yeah, even the talent involved in the Swordmaster and Arrow books, the Agents of Atlas books, um, are all people who are pretty passionate about bringing those characters with an authentic voice to that audience, so it's really fun watching the comics grow. Heck yeah. And on the Marvel Puzzle Quest side, they're adding Carnage in his Prophet of Null, like his new gnarly but look that Ryan Stegman designed, I his, believe. His like, ribs are showing. And his, 
His shoulders are gross. He needs like four sandwiches. Yeah. Uh, Halloween is next week, just a couple days from when y'all should be listening to this. There's a whole bunch of cool spooktacular things (laughs) on Marvel.com and Marvel social channels. One of the things we did was posted a really cool time-lapse makeup transformation of a cosplayer into zombie colonel. America. I say Colonel America because it actually, in the original Marvel Zombie story, right. he was Colonel America. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. okay. Um, and the makeup was done by Arya, who she does all the makeup for our shows when we do it. She's just the best. She's yeah. amazing. Super nice. Yeah. Super nice. Ricky, do you know about Marvel Studios Avengers Damage Control? I know I know some things and then some secret things. <gasps> so I don't, I don't want to say anything first. In case I say something I'm not supposed to say. Dun, dun, dun. You like go. This. You go. Uh, it is now open at Void Locations. This is the sort of really cool interactive VR experience uh, that fans can play. It is now open. Uh, I want to make a point about this because it opened just the other day. I think the, the day our last episode released. We didn't get a chance to really talk about it. But please go. Tell me how awesome it is. <laughs> uh, and then finally, we have some cool Disney Plus news. We released some info just the other day that Gillian Jacobs, uh, who you may know from Community and Love. Community. Yeah. She's going to direct the first episode in the previously announced documentary anthology series, Marvel's 616. Cool. And Ricky, I know you appreciate this. It's coming from the perspective of what it means to be a woman in what's perceived to be a male-driven industry. It's called Higher, Further, Faster, and it will shine a light on the trailblazing women of Marvel Comics and explores how they found ways to tell stories of representation and inclusion. And I think you, as someone who works on the talent side, working with some amazing uh, women artists and writers and yeah. the talent that you're finding, um, like Carmen Carnero. Carmen Carnero, yeah, one of our second, only second female exclusive artists at Marvel. Kelly Thompson, I think, I believe, our first exclusive writer at Marvel. And then plenty of other writers who have come up in the last year. We, it's great because there was a period where someone would say, hey, do you kind of know a female creator who could work on this character? We want an authentic voice. And you're kind of like racking your brain. Now it's a point where, you know, you put together a list over an hour of, of people who are breaking into the industry in the last eight years or so. So it's, it's really awesome to be part of all this. Yeah, there's um, an issue that comes out next week that uh, the Dr. Afra annual, yep. uh, Elsa Chartier, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's like, riffing on some Darwin Cook vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So gorgeous, that great. issue. She crushes yeah, it. Yeah, it looks great. Man. She had the main cover and, yeah, her, her short story inside. There's a lot of great stories in that issue, but, yeah, Elsa's incredible. Yeah. Um, all right, and then uh, also talking about Disney Plus stuff, Gillian Jacobs will be joined by Paul Shear, David Gelb, and Andrew Rossi, among numerous others, who will also be working on additional episodes of Marvel's 616. The episodes will focus on a whole bunch of topics, uh, whether it's you know cosplay community, Marvel's influence and relationship with hip-hop, illustrators who live and work internationally, something, Ricky, you know very, very well. Yeah, we worked on a big list of different artists who were in different cities who could kind of speak to this, um, and it, it it sounds like what they have planned is really cool, and I hope they do more stuff like this just to show the breadth of artists who work for Marvel are literally all over the world. But this issue, this episode should be really fun. Uh, and there's plenty more. We're going to be following the high school theater production of Marvel and Disney Spotlight Program. Uh, all of that uh, is just part of Marvel 616, which will stream exclusively on Disney Plus in 2020. Disney Plus launches November 12th. It's so close. I know. There are a couple people downstairs in the editorial area who are literally running by and updating you on a daily day basis. Like, hey, it's 15 more days or whatever. I wish it was now. Just so you could watch Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, right? Tonight. Yeah, tonight. <laughs> yeah. I think, what is it? Uh, what's the one with Bette Midler and uh, Hocus Pocus? Hocus Pocus. Is that a Disney? That's a Disney movie. I don't know. I, Maybe? Yeah. Let's say yes. yes. And if we're wrong, bite our tongue. <laughs> uh, but, Ricky, we now have to talk about this week in Marvel history. I've been doing this all year long. I don't know that you've been on the show this year. I haven't been on the show this year. That's wild. I know. I've listened I've listened to it, so I, I have an idea. This is a really cool idea, coming up with like these kind of context for how long ago something happened. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a fun idea. Yeah. And so uh, every week we look at uh, a full week, seven days uh, across Marvel history. We pull out different things, whether it's um, character appearances, important creator moments, uh, releases of different things. And so we'll run through some of these, and the full list can be found on Marvel.com in the coming days. We are looking at the week of October 25th through October 31st. And how about um, we'll just go back and forth? And yeah. I'll start. Great. Uh, October 27th, 1959, a classic Kirby monster, Monstro, <laughs> a huge mutated octopus makes its debut in Tales of Suspense number eight. In this issue, which is w- one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure we included this, there are also stories by Bill Everett and Steve Ditko, and Ditko does one of his classic 
full page intro splashes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and it is just jaw dropping, like gorgeous. Sumeti, like different, like no, it is, it's just it, he draws like the, in this one, it's a like an alien and right. it's uh, like a monster alien. It's right. really cool. It's crazy. This is what sixty years ago. He was yeah. like creating this stuff. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. Uh, up next is October thirty first, nineteen seventy two, a spooky night or day. Uh, Jim Starlin jumped on to Iron Man as writer and artist for a single issue, which is number fifty five. But in that issue, he managed to introduce Thanos, Drax the Destroyer, Star Fox, Mentor, and the Blood Brothers, all in one fell swoop. That's a lot of stuff in one issue. Happy Halloween, indeed. Yeah. Like, think about that. He's like, uh, I have ideas. Can yeah. I just come in one issue? Right. And then. Yeah, all, all this, this stuff. And then other artists and writers picked up a bunch of these things that completely new stuff over the next, what, I can't count, 30, 50 years? 700 years? years. 700 years worth of time. Uh, the next year, October 30th, 1972, The Punisher makes his first appearance in Amazing Spider-Man number 129 by Jerry Conway and Ross Andrew. In the issue, Punisher is manipulated by the Jackal into thinking that Spidey is a murderer. The Punisher punches, kicks, shoots, and broods at Spidey as we get introduced to Frank's lonely war on crime. He's, he's ve- like, at one point, he's like, I'm alone. I'm so alone. <laughs> he's just sitting in an alleyway. Essentially. Uh, obviously, this one is steeped in all the vigilante justice vibes of the time, yep. your Dirty Harrys and all that stuff, and yeah. real world stuff. It's pretty gnarly. And he's got a very interesting look in that issue, too. Yeah. like it's all, He looks kind of monstrous a little bit, too. And the Jackal's obviously a monster. But can you imagine the day before Halloween picking up that issue of Amazing Spider-Man yeah. and Punisher's on the cover with this, like, rad skeleton face on his shirt? I don't yeah. know. It just seems like fun. I didn't realize it was so close to Halloween. I know. Me neither. October 26th, 1982, Frank Miller ends his first run as writer and sometimes artist on Daredevil with issue number 191. Uh, this issue has Frank Miller writing and drawing it. It features Daredevil and Bullseye engaged in Russian roulette, Ooh, among other things. Heavy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's such a great issue. I remember having read this years ago and rereading it this time, and like the last panel is just such a, like a stamp. Yeah. Like, mic drop, I'm no. out. But Frank Miller would return to the title several years later to write Born Again. Of course, mm. he would do more work on Elektra, on, on Daredevil uh, across the years. The year I was born. Oh. October 31st, 1992. It was another Halloween Marvel miracle. <laughs> this time in 92 because it's the date when the first episode of the X-Men animated series initially aired oh on my Fox. Gosh. I know. Like I, I saw this in our doc and I was like, are we sure yeah. that was a Saturday? It was Halloween. Like, I went back, found the calendar. Wow. And, like, I was like, all right. It was, uh, uh, of course, a Saturday morning staple. The series was also one of the most influential pieces of Marvel storytelling for turning regular folks into true believers. And now, of course, the theme song is stuck in your head. <laughs> yep. I was thinking it the whole time you were reading. Yeah. I was thinking it the whole time you were reading. Right? October 31st, 2001. Elsa Bloodstone makes her debut in Bloodstone Number no. 1 by Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning, and Michael Lopez. It's an Elsa origin story as she's just an 18-year-old who learns about her father's monster-hunting ways. Elsa, we've seen in the last decade or so, especially is kind of highlighted in books like Next Wave and the new Deadpool series. Yeah, and it's a very cheesecakey book. I was like, yeah. oh, hmm. yeah, okay. Very much a 2001 yep. kind of title. Yeah, I just found out the origin of her dad from that History of the Marvel Universe book. Yeah. That he's like hundreds and hundreds of years old and like almost a caveman. He was a caveman. He was a caveman. Yeah, yeah. I think the the Bloodstone itself transformed him into like... Immortal. Immortal and he got smarter Mustache having... Yeah. Dude. Big thick boy. Big thick boy. <laughs> yep. October 27, 2004... Sword, the Sentient World Observation and Response Department makes its debut in Astonishing X-Men number six by Joss <sighs> Whedon. <laughs> 15 years ago? Oh gosh, I didn't even... Jeez. Wow. By Joss Whedon and John Cassidy, uh, S.W.O.R.D. is essentially S.H.I.E.L.D. for space stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the, the simple way to describe it. Um, but this issue also wraps up the first arc of this incredible run, which you can read on Marvel Unlimited, and includes maybe the coolest fastball special double-page spread to date. <laughs> uh, it's got Colossus tossing uh, Wolverine, and Wolverine's like like bullet. He's like straight at the reader. Yeah. It's so gorgeous. Yeah. Cassidy's art on those issues was fire. Yeah, if you go back and look, they were doing a lot of really crazy stuff that was deceptively simple. You didn't realize what the tricks they were kind of pulling to make you go through the issue much more quickly. The, I think the best uh, pages are the wordless pages. Nothing against Joss Whedon, but like him letting Cassidy do the storytelling with body language and eyeline guidance across pages was some of my favorite stuff to yeah. go back and reread even. so For sure. Um, I like that Wolverine likes to get thrown too. 
You better believe he likes to get thrown. October 26, 2005, was the House of M number eight by Brian Michael Bendis and Olivier Coipel. It looks at the aftermath of Scarlet Witch proclaiming no more mutants. And we see the mutant population decimated to nearly 200, down hundreds of thousands, maybe a million. And we see Wolverine waking up and remembering his past. Uh, we see hints of Hawkeye's return and much, much more that Brian would follow up with uh, in the Avengers series. Um, Were you a wizard at the time when this came out? I was. I w- I w- yeah, I was. And I remember not really understanding what the decimation meant for the mutants because I didn't really understand how many how many there were. But it got knocked down to like 198 or 200 or whatever. Yeah. It was a big deal. And they all lived in the Xavier school, right? There were some and there was also the District X part yeah, of right. the city that they were like cordoned off on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a big change for, for the entire Marvel Universe. For X-Men fans, too, especially. Yeah, and then it spun out into some new Avengers stuff. A whole lot of whole lot of business. A whole lot. Uh, October 26, 2011, there's an ideological schism in the X-Men between Cyclops and X-Men that caused Wolverine to take a whole bunch of mutant kids, his friends, some colleagues, uh, took them from Utopia to move back to Westchester in order to reopen the school, which they then dubbed the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning, mm. which is, I believe, the first time we get that name right. for the school, which has been seen in film and, and yeah. other stuff. Wolverine heads up the institution alongside Kitty Pride. Uh, this is Wolverine and the X-Men number one by Jason Aaron and Chris Bashalo. Uh, in addition to the school, the issue also features the first appearance of Kid Gladiator, a new Warbird, and a new Krakoa. I absolutely adore this whole series. Yeah, Wolverine and the X-Men is good. And it continued to be great even after that launch with Wolverine kind of being not a teacher but like a mentor to the kids. Yeah. Um, but the Krakoa stuff was really cool. It kind of showed that the, the grounds that the school was on was this living earth thing, which is uh, very present in the current X-Men books. Yeah. Cool, it set up cool stuff. Set up lots of cool stuff. Uh, and as I mentioned, so the – we're going to have even more details for some of the history moments on Marvel.com. You can find that article on the website. We'll have it for you. Thanks to Jamie and uh, Emily on the team for putting all this together. Uh, but, Ricky, we got to talk about the top books from this week's episode of Marvel's Pull List. What are It's still in my head. Yeah, I did it. What are the books? This week's top books. Amazing Mary Jane number one, Marauders number one, Amazing Spider-Man Full Circle number one, and Immortal Hulk number 25. Very cool stuff. This is a really good week. Yeah. Next week, too. It's we, we, You know what, Ricky? We put out some good comic books. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, you can subscribe to Marvel's Pull List wherever you get your podcasts. And that includes Pandora. And watch video versions of the show on Marvel.com. Uh, because we are so close to Halloween, uh, Triple P thought we should talk about monsters. And I thought yeah. that was a great idea, especially from the art side of things. You know, style. What makes... A cool Marvel monster, especially in in your mind, Ricky. Uh, The styles changed. If you go back and look at, like, you know, the early monster books that Kirby was doing, like Goom, the the big monster stuff, it kind of uh, reflected the pulpy sci-fi movies that were coming out at the time, like the ones that are, like, low budget. and They have, like, you know, a giant ant attacks the city or the blob or it came from outer space. There's a straight-up Godzilla ripoff in one of them, which I love. Yeah, and everybody was ripping off everybody. Some people were ripping off themselves and other companies because it was just what was popular at the time. Kids couldn't get enough of these big monsters. And and kids were getting exposed to all these movies too. So as their tastes matured and, and grew and the world – politics and economy and um, socioeconomic situations started changing. The audience wanted more realistic, different, creepier stuff. And that kind of led to like your Bernie Wrightsons and, and, you know, Neil Adams and Plug. All those guys started doing stuff that was a little bit more gritty and realistic in the 70s. And that reflected like uh, famous movies, a monster, famous monsters of film land the, and the fandom of kids wanting like actually dangerous and, and grotesque monsters in their movies and the American audience, the movie audience kind of being relaxed and letting that come into their, into their homes. So you got television shows like Adam's family and the monsters, which were shows about monsters on, on television because of what was going on in the world. And so it was reflected in the pop art, especially at Marvel. And then you kind of roll into the eighties, early eighties with like underground artists doing comics, horror guys like Richard Corbin starting to kind of change the game of what's possible with horror comics and visual storytelling. And so he inspired a whole generation. And, and, and Marvel, you know, Marvel in the 90s, one of the biggest eras of comics for me was that, like, monster, like, Morbius and, like, Midnight Suns and the Spirits of Vengeance. And you had guys like 
Ron Wagner and the and Adam Kubert, Andy Kubert, Joe Kubert, superhero artists doing monster books that were still superhero in nature, but featured like undead dudes and guys with their heads on fire and stuff. Yeah, I think about like Ghost Rider, the early '90s Ghost Rider. Yeah, especially some of those covers. Yeah. Q had. Um, there's this one stark white cover, right? And Ghost Rider is like pinned to the yes. to the ground with a stake through his face. Yeah, it is. I'll never forget that cover. And his like his head is kind of yeah. tilted in an unnatural way, so you know like he's not getting up from that. It's yeah. crazy. You can't help but pick that up as a kid. You're like, what is this? But it's a horror book at the same time as a dynamic Marvel superhero book. It still made you go, oh, I have to read this thing. And then now I think horror. You know, we got Marvel Zombies in the early 2000s by Sean Phillips, and he kind of helped pave the way for more thoughtful horror stuff and other companies. and But at the same time, guys who were reading that Spirits of Vengeance stuff, guys who were reading Todd McFarlane, like Ryan Stegman, started doing work. And so now Ryan brings that horror flavor to everything he does, like Venom right now and Absolute Carnage and Aaron Cooter's on the new Ghost Rider book. And Aaron doesn't isn't necessarily, when you first look at it, like, oh, that guy would do a cool horror book. He could do a lot of cool anything books. But he brings this kind of like unsettling realness to the the stories he does in, in Ghost Rider and really dynamic action. So it's it's really fun, but at the same time, uh, we've got this renaissance of horror books right now, which is cool. Yeah. You know, as we're starting to talk, I think, like, this lineage of Plug to Corbin mm-hmm. to then Aaron. Yeah. Aaron Cooter is taking, like, because Corbin gets so detailed and so, yeah. like, his work is so grimy and grungy. And then, you like, Aaron almost takes that to a whole other level. Right, yeah. There's a scene in the first issue where Danny switches from him, his human form to his Ghost Rider form and like half of his face gets all like detailed flames and gross stuff coming off of it and like flakes of skin. It's nasty stuff. Stuff I, I wouldn't have been able to read or been, I wouldn't have been allowed to read as a kid, <laughs> but I definitely would have wanted to read. So yeah, as monsters became more mainstream, more mainstream artists started doing that work in their, in their comics. It's great. But you also mentioned some guys who just have like Marvel DNA in their storytelling like Gene Colan with his Dracula work for so long. Like, um, it's just great storytelling, great Marvel storytelling. Yeah, I mean, sixty years. His career at Marvel is sixty years. Yeah, and like the his big Tomb of Dracula run is in the seventies, and I think of that, and automatically I start I start thinking of like Hammer Horror, yeah, and like that vibe yep. that like sexy but dark and scratchy and. And Victorian. Stylish, weird. too. Yeah, very like, stylish. Drake looked like he could hang out with, like, Andy Warhol or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He probably did. Yeah. yeah. And he, he could hang. He could hang. And, and, uh, and he kept doing that work his whole career. And he brought a bunch of other, like, you know, he talked about inclusion earlier in the podcast. He would bring in characters like Blade and, and characters had different perspectives. So it wasn't just a bunch of traditionally European white characters in a horror story. He brought in present-day elements that had a realness to them that fans could actually relate to. That's, there's a reason those books are still so great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, well, I want to end it. We'll talk about our favorite monster artists. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, do you have any favorite monsters in the Marvel Universe? Uh, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i go because, of course, mine's in Feng Foom. I know. I, fig- I was going to say him because he comes to mind first, but yeah, you should say him. I did. Feng oh. Feng Foom. Yeah, him's good. And I like Ghost Rider. I like, I think my, I think my, my favorite Ghost Rider is Johnny Blaze. I liked Morbius a lot when I was a kid. I used to draw him. I never, I never really knew when I was in fifth grade drawing Morbius in my homework that he had like that leather like S and M costume. Oh, yeah. I was just drawing buckles, like no big deal. <laughs> but like in hindsight, it really um, gave me a path in life. <laughs> and uh, yeah, those guys are, are great. I mean, Blade is awesome. Blade is so awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about process because you are, oh. uh, you know, talent director mm. here at Marvel. What do you look for in an artist? Not just monster stuff, but, you know, what what makes you say, hmm, that's someone I want to sign? <laughs> I think the easiest answer, and it's not it's not a cop out, but it, it's um, it's dynamic storytelling and dynamic storytelling means uh, continuity in your action and continuity in your costumes, continuity in your backgrounds, so that a reader, it's easy for a reader to understand what story you're telling. But also the dynamism comes from that like old Marvel DNA, that stuff that Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and Buscema and Ramita Sr. all did. Um, and all the artists who have come after them is uh, work that jumps out at the reader that, you know, it's not action going from left to right. It's action coming from the background to the foreground, jumping out and grabbing you by your face. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's all those elements create dynamic storytelling. And it's, an easy answer to say, 
But I tell people who are starting out that they need to focus on those fundamentals first and their style will come out of that. Because if you're trying to draw like Todd McFarlane, you're trying to draw like Aaron Cooter or Mike Mignola, uh, it's not as important as figuring out how to walk before you run, really. And that's just line artists. There's, you know, we're still hiring inkers and cover artists and colorists. Um, Really, it all comes down to um, dynamic storytelling um, across all those boards. You know, part of what you and the team do in the talent group is decide how to cast a book and and what creators go on. And sometimes I'm sure you guys have like, hey, this creative team is pitching on something or whatever it is. But how do you decide stylistically who to go with for certain books, particularly when we have, uh, let's say, some of our monster or horror books like Immortal Hulk, Marvel Zombies, Morbius, Venom? Yeah, so um, something specific like Morbius, the story that Vita was telling was a story kind of bringing Morbius back to his monstrous roots, but there was still, Morbius was like looking to take down a bunch of supervillains. So it's very much set in the Marvel Universe. It has impact on the Marvel Universe, but the Morbius isn't this kind of set in the shadows, sad, thicker line, heavy shadows kind of character. He's still got this dynamic story to tell. And so Vita told the story, the first like six pages of um, Morbius are incredible, kind of leads up. This, this villain's getting stalked in a high school, and then he gets into this uh, big open area, and then he looks up, and the shadow falls on his face, and he turns the page to a two-page splash of Morbius coming down at the reader. So it's Dynamics Marvel superhero, but he's, his face is all messed up and, and snarled, and his claws are all out, and he looks like he's gone crazy. And so you can't help but want to read more of it. So we, didn't, we wanted to get somebody who could um, you know, tell superhero stories but also add that, that level of kind of grotesque detail. And Marcello Ferreira, newly exclusive artist to Marvel, who's been impressing us on a bunch of uh, other projects, just fit the bill. But someone like Marcello may not be correct for Immortal Hulk, that book has had a bunch of different kinds of styles on, of art on it, um, anchored by Joe Bennett and colorist Paul Mounts. Paul kind of brings this, not psychedelic, but uncomfortable color palette to Joe's consistent storytelling. And Joe's no, like, pushover when it comes to that gross... Cronenberg-esque yeah, nightmare horror. Body horror. I've come in every day that I read one of those issues and go into the Hulk office and throw my book at them. I'm like, no! <laughs> this is, I can't see this anymore. But they, he keeps, keeps up in the ante Joe Bennett's superhero storytelling, but also these gross scenes. And then they also, the editorial team, Will Moss and, and uh, Sarah Brunstad, bring in guest artists that are really effective to that story. And so for issue 25, which was one of the top books this last week, they, they were looking for a storyteller who could do a big, galactic crazy, off-the-wall sci-fi story with a lot of attention to the, the storytelling itself. So it was intimate, but it was still gigantic. It's, I, I don't want to spoil the story. But they brought in Herman Garcia, who hasn't really done a lot of work in the, the States in a, in a while. The last time he was here, he was a superhero artist, but he's doing some really fun, weird stuff with his style that just matches the story. So it all comes down to the tone of the story and what kind of story the the editors are trying to tell or the writers are trying to tell and like you said there are other times when it's just you know jerry dugan likes working with greg smallwood so they do a a ff issue there's just kind of uh alchemy and chemistry going on and that's it's it's a really big part of what makes the job super fun super lucky yeah and you do a great job thank you very proud and happy to have you i appreciate it yeah all right so uh before we move on with the rest of the show it's time to pick your favorite marvel monster artist some suggestions. Oh. Plug, of course. Uh, Arthur Adams for a more poppy monster yeah. style. Yeah, he has uh, great big monsters. Kirby yeah. monsters, yeah. Jack Kirby, of course. Yeah, there's there's tons. It's, it's tough. Man, I'm going to say for superhero, like straight up superhero stuff, it's got to, yeah, art. Art, art does monsters really well. Remember that, the new Fantastic Four uh, oh, yeah. two-parter, two-and-a-half-parter? Three-parter. Three-parter with Mole Man and all these, like, the little moloids and, like, the ca- the cavern and, like... It's all Monster Isle. Yeah. Elijah's there. The yeah. Skrulls. Oh, yeah. Uh, really cool superhero, like, monsters. Um, but if I'm picking somebody more stylized, uh, there's an artist named Jabril Morissette who did a Sergeant Fury one-shot that was set on Krakoa in the last year. It was an annual. Mm, um, I remember that, yeah. But really kind of intimate and creepy and this story about Sergeant Fury landing on the island and not knowing what it is. And then something starts growing on his men like a fungus. And then it becomes this kind of slow, quiet horror story set in the jungle. It's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So Jabril's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would probably go with, you know, it's, it's hard for me to not say Kirby. Yeah. Because he just, you know, you, you just see his stuff. And especially when you start to look at his his inhuman stuff and more importantly, his eternal stuff and just the wild 
creatures and things he was doing. Like yeah. there's no there's no greater mind in in my mind for monsters and creativity. Which is crazy because you could also say the same about like he's a great Western yeah comic book storyteller. He's a great greatest artist of all time storyteller. Yeah. Romance yeah. mob stories Ugh. kids comic Ugh, yeah yeah uh, yeah. But I think for me modern I'd have to go with now Joe Bennett what he's doing right now. Oh yeah. He's on fire. Yeah, this stuff's going to be read for a long, long time, the Immortal Hulk stuff. Now, obviously, you want to read Immortal Hulk. Well, guess what? You could be earning cashback rewards for buying issues of Immortal Hulk. How, Ricky? With, I, I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> with the Marvel MasterCard. You can learn more at marvelmastercard.com slash twim. Big thanks to Marvel MasterCard, our advertiser this episode. You could earn 3% cashback rewards paid as a statement credit on comic books, Movies, restaurants, and more with the Marvel MasterCard, and 1% cashback rewards paid as a statement credit on all other purchases. Wow. There's no limit on the cashback rewards you can earn. You can enjoy special Marvel benefits like three months of a Marvel Unlimited subscription, super valuable. And you can choose your superhero from one of six cool card designs too, like Iron Man, Black Panther, and Spider-Man, just to name a few. Visit marvelmastercard.com slash twim to learn more and apply today. marvelmastercard.com slash T-W-I-M. Uh, once again, big thanks to Marvel MasterCard for advertising on the show this week. Uh, but it is time for our interview where I talk to Greg Miller and Nick Scarpino from Kinda Funny. Kinda Funny is uh, a network of podcasts and video shows mm-hmm. uh, that was founded by Greg Miller, Nick Scarpino, Tim Geddes, coming out of IGN. They used to work at IGN, yeah. and they just like wanted to do stuff. And Greg had built a huge personality for himself. Right. And, I adore Greg. I think he's wonderful. I did episodes of their shows, which you guys can check out on uh, Kind of Funny's networks of video and, and audio shows. But they're super cool. And their office, it's a, like a floor of an apartment right? above a comic shop. What? Yeah. I like the self-deprecating nature of their title, of their of their company. Yeah. Like, like uh, what do you do? I uh, work. It's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. It's, it's like, you don't have to check it out. It's just kind of whatever. My mom likes it. Greg, Nick, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. Greg, I'm, I'm t- good too. Well, Nick just took Nick just started talking. I don't. I no know. one needs to know how you're doing. Oh, we can just follow you on Instagram. Nick, and thank you very much. See me hourly my upgrade updates. That's Instagram.com slash Game Over Greg. You come on over. Oh wow. boy. You know what I mean? That is the first plug. How many can I get in? I'm sure a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we're here at Kind of Funny headquarters in San Francisco. Very exciting. We're, we did a bunch of videos uh, for you guys. Yeah. Did some stuff for Marvel. Greg, you've been on the show before. I have been. Uh, no we, big deal, Nick. I mean, for, you know, it's my first time. I think I'm knocking it out of the park so far. <laughs> but for anybody who hasn't heard, uh, I want to get into your Marvel origin stories, how you first became fans I'm of sure. Marvel, you know, comics, movies, television, whatever it was. Nick, why don't you start us off? Oh, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a better idea. Um, I, you know, my, my touchstone really for Marvel is the movies, is the, the cinematic universe. And, uh, you know, I think I, like a lot of people out there, was not expecting much from Iron Man. And when I left that theater, I was blown away by how much I had fallen in love with that character and how much I wanted more of not only just the character, but whatever universe they wanted to build from that. And that just really is a testament to the team that they've all put together, uh, Robert Downey Jr. being the, the tip of the spear for all that. I mean, I've been a longtime Robert Downey Jr. fan ever since like uh, back to school days. So seeing him here knocking this out and really being the cornerstone for this entire universe, uh, it, I was like, dude, this is this is a bra- brave new world we're in now. Yeah. I, I think about the, the Iron Man of it all. And in 2006, when I started, into 2006 into 2007, we were developing these series of three one-minute CGI videos created by Blur, Blur Studios. Sure. Oh, yeah. Great work. Great work. Um, Great stuff. And they, we were making them because we had done research that said kids thought Iron Man was a robot. And so we, had, we <laughs> needed to put Iron Man alongside Spider-Man and Hulk to show that they were friends. And in those videos, we did the heads-up display where you see inside what they use very well in the movie – we did that in these videos uh, ahead of time because we had to. And sure. it's, you know, like, n- most people didn't know who Iron Man was. Right. And that's so right. ridiculous to think of now. Right. You know what I mean? Ten it's years bananas. later, and it's this phenomenon it's that you can't true. I mean, I had, I had an Iron Man toy growing up that for the longest time I had no idea who it was. 
Just didn't know. It was one of those like it was one of those rare. You're going through the thrifties drugstore, yeah. and you look over and you see Spider Man. You go, I want that so bad. But then there's another one sitting right next to it, and you don't know what that is, but you want it anyway because it's there. And you there. don't know. Yeah. You know, when we grew up. Toys were in like sparse demand. Sure. So like you could if you see if I found something, you're like, I don't know what this character is, but I gotta find it because totally. I might not ever get another toy again. Exactly. Ever. This might be the last one. What about you, Greg? What's your touchstone for? Uh, for Marvel. You know, I think it's about time this show had a real host. Let me just, you know what? Let me yeah. just take this out. Let me take the reins. Please, please. I'm just watching the two of you not breaking any eye contact. It That's is how we do delightful. It. That's how we do it around here. You We've been together and working together too long. That's yeah. true. Uh, for me, it's Spider Man. Like, you know, uh, I remember being at school and my friend Mike had an older brother who loved comic books and I wanted to impress him. And so I went home and got like the one comic I had, which was Spider Man on the cover alongside Incredible Hulk. And I took it and did what every kid would think to do with a comic to make it look like they were seasoned and crumpled it up and r- rip the pages. And I was going to say put it in plastic and seal it. No, no, I didn't understand bags and boards yet. And then, yeah, I walked in the next day. I'm like, I have this comic. And the brother took it. I was like, this is worthless. This is garbage. You didn't take care of this comic. You need to do that. And I was like, I had no idea what they're saying. Aww. And so, you know, I, I found my way to a local comic store, Pages and Wheaton, long gone now, and uh, fell in love. And like I always talk about it, like, uh, it was right as McFarlane's uh, Spider-Man was taking off. And so I picked up, you know, I, I remember it was a big deal. I picked up the random ones off the shelf. And then eventually I got a, a good report card or whatever and got one of the, you know, the bagged and sealed. Uh, so mint condition number ones. And I opened it like an idiot and read it and really enjoyed it. And that was my introduction. And like I was talking about, you know, earlier and I've said before, like jumping in there, I understand as an adult why you know universes scare people why you know 80 years of marvel is intimidating to a reader but at that point jumping in with a number one i just accepted that okay spider-man's married that's what it is this is who he is and so that was my touchstone and him being married and why like you know brand new day i i was so like oh my god don't do this please don't do this uh that was my universe. That was my Spider-Man. That was my world. And then it was that, you know, joyous occasion of learning about Gwen and learning about this history and finding, you know, all these original stories of where people met and where villains fought for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. You, you say coming in at number one was so good, but I, me, I love the idea. Like I jumped in. At, I, I remember my first X-Men issue was 129. Nice. That's the first appearance of Emma and Kitty and like major part of the, the beginning of the Dark Phoenix saga. And it was like, I don't know anything it's is that going to ring again? Yo, yeah. The, the, the trains are going to go by throughout this entire episode. That's that's part, of, part the of the charm of San Francisco and kind of funny. Yeah. Dot com. Go there for all your podcasts. That's two. Uh, so, yeah, Dark Phoenix Saga. And I was like, I don't know who these people are, but I want to learn more. And I would go to like, we had a used bookstore that I would yeah. go to, to to get more and then comic stores and stuff like that. I And I think now someone can come in at any issue and there's... Marvel Unlimited, there's the internet, yep. there's, you know, YouTube, there's like all these ways to learn more and find those backstories and dive deeper once you start. And I think it's what it's an amazing time. Yeah, it's an awesome time, but I also then wonder, and you probably have more optics on this, I wonder not even the intimidation factor anymore of coming in, because I was like you, right? If you throw me in the deep end of these universes that have existed, and yeah, I'm going to go find all this stuff. And when they start mentioning Gwen or, you know, uh, Uncle Banner and that stuff, like, what are they talking about, right? But for nowadays, like, it's so interesting as, you know, continuities get rebooted or things get moved around or origins get changed. The idea that, sure, there's plenty of resources for it, but it's also that... I remember it being, I feel like growing up a slower time. Like it was just, it was, there was less demanding my attention, let alone like you're talking about the internet being there with constant simulation up to the minute updates of all sorts of things of how I can't imagine being that kid now and jumping into Marvel and being like, I need to know. 80 years of Spider-Man. Like I, I I know it still happens. I know that's still going on, but I think it takes a special type. Sure. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. I would have been, but yeah, yeah, that would have been you. <laughs> I don't know. When I was a kid, I thought I had it all figured out because it was just the animated X Men, the animated oh, show, God. and that was it. That's all I needed. Yeah, but I was like, morph. this is it. This is the b- morph. Yeah. I love it <laughs> yeah. so much. The anime. I mean, that's another great example of like that in the Spider Man animated series. Oh, like, those, those yeah. were like touchstone, you know, moments. And I remember of watching it and thinking it was so quaint that Spider Man was still like in high school and then in college or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like I know him as this married dude. It's <laughs> awesome. He's still doing this. Yeah, I love it. I remember the issue of that uh, was it must have been nineteen ninety. An issue of Spider-Man, where at the end of the issue is Spider-Man's birthday. Here's a cake with your. It says thirty on it because it was the thirtieth anniversary of Spidey. Yeah. Uh, but it was like he's thirty years old. 
Wow, he's old, man. He's an old man. He's going to die soon. <laughs> Wild. Uh, earlier, you mentioned, Greg, that the two of you have been working together for a long time. How long have we been working together? Oh, man. So kind of funny. He's been around since 2015, but we were working at IGN.com before then together. And that was my entire career there. So what that would yeah. have been, I mean, 2006, 2007. Yeah. Well, I started in 2007. Yeah. So yeah. 2007 is the answer. Final answer. 12 years. Wow. Crazy. Uh, and so I've known him longer than I've known my wife. Yeah. Not yeah, I, I, Judy, one of my producers who's sitting over there. Judy, I've known Judy longer than I've known my wife. It's yeah. wild that like you have these friendships, these long-term relationships that you you build through these careers. How did Kind of Funny become Kind of Funny? Oh man, uh, so mm. I had been at IGN five years, and they made the mistake of giving my me my own talk show <laughs> called <laughs> Up at Noon with Greg Miller, and we did it for I want to say six months or so, and they were like, "All right, cool. Now you should go to VidCon." And I was like, what is VidCon? And they're like, VidCon is this YouTube convention where you go and learn from other creators. Now it's much more YouTube. VidCon is where YouTube creators go to interface with their fans and make you know, sign autographs and all this stuff. But in its origin, it was very much like you would go there and there'd be panels about how to make better YouTube videos, how to like very intricate, like here's the best uh, rules for thumbnails. Here's how we're finding successful annotations. And I remember them telling me this and I was like, uh, I know YouTube. I host a YouTube only show. Like I don't need to go to VidCon and they're like, well, at least go and uh, meet other people that you can bring on as guests. And I was like, all right, cool. I can go party. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> and so it was me, Tim, Nick, and our friend Eric from IGN. And we shot down there to do VidCon. And, uh, you know, my ex roommate uh, and founder of kind of funny, uh, Colin Moriarty, he always said that like, I left so dejected, like, I got to go to this thing. I'll see you later. And then came back uh, on that Sunday night, like an apostle with the Holy ghost. And I was like, I, I've just discovered YouTube and we should be doing you. Cause I'd been looking for a creative outlet that wasn't, IGN. It was something I was doing on my own. And so I looked into writing comics and I looked into writing a kid's book and I started doing all these different little projects and none of them were what I wanted, like what was really speaking to me. And going to VidCon and learning about what YouTube really was, which it was like, here is a direct direct pipeline for you to talk to your audience. Here's You make things you're passionate about and share it with the world and those passionate people find it. I was already doing that at IGN with video games. So the idea that I could then go here and do whatever else, do whatever I wanted to do, really spoke to me. And so I fell in love with it, and I wanted to make a show called Winging It with Greg Miller, where I would uh, go on my usual IGN duties around the globe to talk about video games and report on video games, but then stay an extra day to find good wing restaurants. Okay, I was going to say this had to be something wing exactly. Of course it did. I wanted <laughs> Roll to your find eyes, the best all your, Nick. Buff- hey, it gave you a career, <laughs> no, sir. No, it's great. It's great. <laughs> and so that was the first thing I wanted to do when we were talking about it flying home from VidCon, but it was the idea of like, I don't know how to use YouTube. I don't know how to edit video. I don't know how to... And, uh, it was the laundry list of I didn't know how to do any of this. I just talked in front of the camera at IGN, right? And so Nick and Tim were very much like... We'll help you. Like I'll, t- you know, we'll come over and shoot stuff at your house, and we'll show you how to the basics of Premiere and all this different stuff. Yeah. And so we started, you know, doing. A, I started little shows to learn how to edit and do these things like Oreo Oration, where I review Oreo cookies, right? Like, and then I take a day off work to sit there and edit those things. And like, I, you know, I started a show called Conversation with Colin, where I just interviewed my roommate. And we started doing it enough and started having so much fun with it that that evolved into a podcast that Nick and Tim were on. And then eventually, it started having these conversations of like. We've been at IGN a long time, and it's great, and it's rad, but, like, we're having a lot of fun doing the other stuff. Like, what if the other stuff was the full-time job? Yeah. And so slowly, over time, it evolved, and in 2014, we started a a Patreon while we were still at IGN. We rebranded as Kind of Funny. We launched a viral video with uh, Hunter Pence, who was at the time on the San Francisco Giants. And then IGN didn't like that that much. And they were like, wait a second, what are you doing? You're building a business. (laughs) I wonder why. I know, right? And uh, it was that thing where we had a lot of conversations with them, and they were awesome. And it was that idea of like, all right, you know what? I think it might be time for us to go. And so in 2015, January, we broke out on our own and started Kind of Funny and Kind of Funny Games. So we we took and started talking about video games on our own. But that's evolved into me having a comic show you're coming on, right? And having an interview show you're coming on. And then we're doing a show called All the Time in Review, which started as MCU in Review, where we... We watched every one of the Marvel movies leading up to Avengers Infinity War and ranked them and had conversation. You know, we have podcasts that are longer than the movies as we rant and rave about it. Right. And it's just been this thing of taking our passion and sharing with this passionate audience we have. Yeah. Was that scary? For you guys, you know, like leaving. Yeah. Yeah. It was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Like to me, that idea is like, that's a huge gamble. Uh, it's yeah. got to be scary. It it was. I think it was. It was different for all of us. I think each of us had had different sort of an emotional state about it. I think me and Greg were probably the ones that were 
ready to try something new having had been at i like i was at ign for almost 10 years i was coming up my 10 year anniversary and i was just like you know I, I remember sitting one night and it was a pivotal night for me where i was sitting on my bed and my wife was talking to me and i was like i, I really want to do this and she was like well why don't you just look at it like you're taking a year off from like from your career and you're just trying something like new and maybe look at it as like a work vacation. And I'm like, I, I guess that's kind of cool. Like I can give it a year. She's like, you know, you've worked for 10 years. You've got some savings. You can do that. And so I, I just wanted to, to, to try something different. And it wasn't that we were unhappy at IGN. It was a great oh, no, place to no. work. It was just that after a certain point, I started to feel like I was getting in the way of other people that could have opportunities if I wasn't there taking up, you know, space and salary at IGN. And, and you know, when I left, we were able to get some, uh, I got a couple of my friends hired and they ended up being great for the company and they loved it and they owe me big even though they swear they don't. But yeah, it was terrifying, but it paid off, you know, and, and I think as do most big risks, you know, if they, when they do pay off, they pay it off big and now I don't have to have a real job. I can just come in here and do this every day and it's pretty cool. It's got to be a lot of fun. It's a blast. You no, know, and Nick yeah. does a show called KFAF. He just r- ranked all the Doritos. Yeah, well, that's a show. Uh, that sounds amazing, though. It's Wednesdays. We did <laughs> make all the Doritos. some Doritos on the plane with you. <laughs> we, forgot, we, we forgot spicy nacho Doritos, so don't leave that in the comments because I've seen it enough right there. But it, uh, KFAF serves Bush two lead. primary purposes. One, to rank stuff and just all sorts of shenanigans. And two, to talk a lot of crap about Greg Miller. <laughs> so if you search the hashtag Greg sucks with an X. S-U-X. S-U-X. Yeah, you'll see all There's that a lot stuff. of stuff out there. Yeah, yeah, walking around, kind of funny, for the first time, you know, being here for the first time, I watch your your guys' videos. I was going to say, yeah, you I, actually consume a lot of the content. Yeah, you'll, you'll text I, me stuff I listen, about it. you know, I like, I love what you guys do because I, there's an authenticity, there's an excitement, which is something that's very important for me and what I do for Marvel. I have a very, like, I think about what you guys do. What I do is very narrow because it's just Marvel, right? Sure. It's still very, we have so much and it's very easy, easy for me to dive in because I love it so much. Yeah. But I, I appreciate where you guys come at all the topics that you talk about. And I look around, I'm walking around here and I'm watching, you know, the, the crew working their butts off and like oh, yeah. heads down, going, going, going. It's like a super team. It's like you guys have built your own Avengers here. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, how do you put that team together? I mean, we're lucky enough that, you know, we have this awesome community. What we always said when we left was we were exchanging the reach of IGN for the intimacy of Kind of Funny, right? Which meant that, you know, we I was on the banner, right, of this channel that had 6 million YouTube uh, subscribers. And we knew we would not hit that with Kind of Funny. It was this idea of we're leaving and hopefully the audience... Well, there was a part of me that was like, come on. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We're leaving and we're going to make the content for a much smaller group that really wanted the content. And so... When we left and we started this message that, you know, it's the kind of funny best friends that by watching this, you're a best friend by, you know, treating each other respectfully in the comments, you're a best friend. Like, and if you're not, if you see somebody not doing that, don't engage with them, just ignore them, move on. They're not meant to be here and they'll wash out like that brought in good people. And so like the super team and the Avengers you talk about over there, right? Like they're all pulled from the community. Like you figure after, you know, you, you, it was us, the four founders, and then Kevin, who was already working with us and has been, you know, with Tim forever as his best friend. Then we brought on Cool Greg, who's Tim's brother. But outside of that, right, the hires are all community members. Like Joey Noel is our uh, community manager. Like, also, I don't, what do you even call Joey? What's our official title? I would, I think production coordinator. Joey makes the office run and makes yeah. the Patreon run and makes sure that like when we're all dying, she moves things around the calendar and she does a whole bunch of different, she fulfills and all this different stuff. Yeah. But she's you know somebody from our community uh barrett courtney who's our most recent hire he's from the community right he runs our social stuff and he also runs the board when kevin has to go do other stuff because he's amazing thank you very much barrett uh then the, you know what it, you 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 look out and it's andy right who we hired from the community because he was making fun stuff he was making shirts for us freelance and it was like well come on and now he hosts kfa with nick like we're lucky enough that we have this audience that when we left we said we're not making this for you we're building this with you and I think in the early days, maybe that didn't make sense. You didn't know exactly what we were saying. But now as you look at it, you're like, oh, I get it. Like, it is literally, we're your best, we're these people's best friends, and we're all making this together. Yeah, and, it, and it's cool, because we have, between me, Greg, and Tim, we have a fair amount of experience and knowledge. But there are gaps. And like, neither, if you asked any of us to design a t-shirt, it's not selling, <laughs> right? Whereas Andy We've learned this, that the hard way. <laughs> the hard way, right? We really, and we really did. And that was, that was one of those things where we're very fortunate enough to, like, say, hey, we have... When we've evolved to a certain point where we have the funds to potentially bring someone aboard that could help with the more artistic side of things, uh, we can do that. And we have a tremendous amount of people out there that'll go, well, we got your person. 
right? And it's not like Andy was just a standout person for us from like from from day one. Not only because we saw him, but everyone in the community was like, mm. "This guy's designs are awesome, right?" Then we brought him in, we meet him. He's got a great personality, and we're like, "Oh, he might be pretty good on camera too. Uh, <laughs> maybe we can, uh, you know, maybe we can work something out here." And so it, it's just cool to sort of. You know, five years in, take a step back and look and see them grow as well and see them, you know, Andy going from from just kind of helping us out uh, produce a show called Party Mode and do some stuff, stuff to then come on and co-host with us and then be a permanent member of our of our core podcast. It's it's just wild. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I was also thinking about the, you know, you have different people with different skill sets, different knowledge. All the things you guys have done uh, during Kind of Funny, the things you learned, putting this together, the trials, tribulations, ups and downs, what surprised you the most? I, I mean, de- <laughs> honestly, so su- surprising for me was the day after we launched uh, on our on January 5th, right? That's what it was. I, have, I forgot because we moved it this year, but it was. Fifth. Um, we launched, and I remember sitting across the table from Tim, and I think Colin and Greg were, were on the stream. And we were promoting what we were doing and why we were leaving and all that stuff. And I remember just there was like a threshold of the second Patreon that we launched. And I was like, you know, if it just hits X amount, then I will only have to get this amount of freelance work to kind of make <laughs> to, to kind of make ends meet toward the end of the month. And then it surpassed that. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And the, it, but it, but it wasn't until it surpassed the point where I was like, oh, I get to come here every day. I don't have to worry about freelance work anymore. I get to come here every day now. And then the next day, I got in my car, I went to Starbucks, like one does, and then I drove to my buddy's house, and then I went to my full-time job in his, in his, in his living room. And it was, it was, I was like, I'm, I was legitimately beside myself with, like, the first excitement and then the fear of having to come through for all these people that came out and gave us money to just l- to make our dream come true of not having to have bosses anymore and just being able to make whatever content we want to make. And then like having that one moment where like Greg wanted to do another show and I was like, well, we should ask no one. <laughs> we don't have to ask anyone about this, right? Because there was so many like, I don't know how your life is, but you know, at IGN, rightfully so, it's a corporation and they've got vice presidents and CEOs and GMs and, and uh, editor-in-chiefs and people have uh, rightfully, you know, a say in things because it's, it's, it's their vision for what the content strategy is supposed to be. And here, we have no vision. We don't need it, right? <laughs> we we need have no vision. We vision. Kind of funny. We have no vision. We have no vision. <laughs> <laughs> Blind as a bat. Um, no, but yeah, so I mean, honestly, the surprising thing for me was that just it worked and that people and that was something that inspired people enough to actually have them give us money other hard-earned dollars to, to yeah I, I, i'll echo that, that right and i think my answer in my head was like it's not that it worked it's that it works so well i really thought like and i'm not saying it's been easy by any stretch of the imagination but i always thought the thought the things i thought would be way harder have been so easy like i really thought when we were pulling the plug and leaving IGN, there was that moment of like, you know, IGN again still is, right? The biggest dot com in terms of video game journalism reviews and all that jazz. So there was that, you know, those moments thinking about leaving of like, do people work with me? And I'm talking about like developers and publishers and people who want to give you a review code or bring you to an event to, you know, preview games. Do they work with me because they like me or do they work with me because of IGN? And I have, you know, I'm on a banner with 6 million subs or whatever. And I thought, okay, cool. Like, we're going to have to go do press tours, like where we go to Nintendo and we go to Xbox and we go to PlayStation and explain to them what we're doing and why we're doing it. And even though we don't have that many millions of subs, we have these subs that do care about it and are really passionate. And it was the exact opposite, where as soon as we left, everybody came to us. It was like, this is the coolest thing. We're so excited to work with you. And I'm like, oh, we're smaller. Like, no, we get it, though. Like, that's, I, I've never had to sit there and talk to, a developer or somebody who wants to showcase their game and try to sell them on coming here. They all get it. No matter how much bigger they are than us, they see how our audience reacts, supports each other, supports us, and supports developers, right? Because it is that thing when we say, hey, man, go send some love. Like one day, I forget what it was. I think it was something maybe Jason Schreier from Kotaku was uh, uh, getting it real hard on Twitter. And we were like, this sucks that he's getting death threats for whatever he reported on. Uh, Everybody go send him love. And people did that, but then our audience on their own, without us telling it, was like, we're going to do this every week. And so every one of the days of the week, they pick a developer and a journalist to go out. And I don't know if they still do it. It might have been a a limited time Facebook thing. But they went and did that. And like that actually resonated. That actually made waves. And when I run into people who haven't even been on our shows, they talk about how awesome our community is. I'm like, damn, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I... We have uh, a couple of people at Marvel 
who uh, were very excited that I was coming here and, you know, love what you guys do. Tim Dillon, who's in our marketing group for television. Yeah. He and I were like, I walked into his office one day in L.A. and he had on a stream of you guys in the background on like a monitor. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you, I, didn't, and I was like, I didn't realize you, you, you're like kind of funny. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And he's the same way as me. Every day I have to go home listening to Games Daily nice. or it ruins my commute. Yeah. And so when you guys are late or you don't have a show. Okay, that's not us being late. It's usually something wrong with the internet. I'm just cast. saying. It changes my entire afternoon. That's totally. great, though. And yeah. honestly, that's, again, talking about, like, that's the responsibility that we have that yeah. we take very seriously. Yeah. And Greg's kidding, of course. But, yeah, like, I've never seen this man walk in late to anything in his life. <laughs> Literally. Like, he is always the first person here in the morning and that, and usually the last person to leave. And that's not because I leave, like, two or three hours early. I was going to say, day. Nick's never the last person to leave. He has <laughs> no idea who's still here. But <laughs> Joey's no, but, usually. <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing. We, we, and we talked a little bit before this. We were joking around about how loose we are as, our, as far as, like, professionalism here. Um, that's a vibe we like to cultivate because everything else we do take deadly serious. You know, we, we want we want we have a content strategy that requires us or not requires, but includes us doing like two to three to maybe even like on days like this. What, five pieces of content today? Yeah, you got to take that seriously and you got to stick to a schedule and you have to have people out there that are willing to goof around when it's time to goof around yeah. and then, you know, be ride or die when it's time to go into production hell. And it's what you're talking about, like, right, because you are a kind of funny best friend. And what I was talking about earlier with what that means in terms of. You get us through so much. You're there for us in a way you probably don't think you are as a listener. But we understand that we're there for you as well. And I, I totally get it. I mean, the amount of times in my career somebody comes up to me and we start talking. And they're just like, I'm sorry. I just don't know. You're always in my ear. I don't know how to talk to you. And I'm like, no, I get it. I understand our relationship, right? You know everything about me. And I'm, I'm privileged and honored that you do because that means you're inviting me into your life, into your head, which means I'm sharing shelf space with your trials, your tribulations, your successes, you know, the, your dreams. And so I'm well aware of like you climbing into the car, listening to it. It's comfort food, right? And it is on good days. It's, we're there to celebrate with you. And on bad days, we're there to take your mind off it. Yeah. And we're so privileged that so many people do that. Yeah, yeah. that's good. And I thank you guys for being there. It's good. It's fun stuff. Uh, Got to know favorite Marvel characters, favorite Marvel stories. Your first knee reaction, of course, is Spider-Man. Of course. Who doesn't love Spidey? The best character in fiction. Wow. Yeah, I'm not even going to like argue. Yeah. I can't swing back on that. You know what I mean? But it's that thing of I feel like I have the childlike amazement and wonder and love for Spidey, as we all do. So I think I'm more start thinking about people to pull from more recently. And we've done this. We've talked about this before. Right. But I always jump to all new Wolverine X-23. Laura Kinney. You kidding me right there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, Tom Taylor did such an ama amazing work on that book of taking a character, I think, you know, with X-23 that I had seen and always thought was cool and whatever, and when she picked up the mantle of being Wolverine and jumping into that book and watching Tom make a universe around her with Gabby and everybody else, right? And, like, I'm, I'll never forget. I think I'm, last time we were on the show, I might have brought the story up, so I'll make it brief. But when he was at a, a, a Comic-Con panel, I think it was, and somebody said, yeah, you know, when you're writing X-23, and he stopped, and he's like, I'm sorry, her name's Laura. Like, that's, you know, X-23, that's not what defines her. And I was like, that is awesome. Because it's like, it makes so much sense for when you read that book, who she is. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. Uh, what about for you, Nick? Like, the MCU, like, what, is there a, a thread, a story, a character? I that... mean, obviously, the, the easy answer is the entire Infinity Saga. But, you know, the fact that I watched. <laughs> that's and, a total cop out. It's every MCU I mean, But it's one large arc, right? And that's, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, no, but I will say the, the one standout thing for me about the MCU and the power of what they've done with the cinematic universe is the fact that they made me care about Thor after Dark World. That. Uh, if you'd ask me, hey, is, is Thor going to be one of your favorite characters in the MCU going forward after Dark World? I'm like, absolutely not. I put dollars to donuts. I don't care about this character. Then Ragnarok comes around. And <laughs> this is what I love about that the, the team at the, uh, over at Marvel is that they're, they literally, they're like, let's take a couple chances here. We, we've got a solid foundation. And normally, if you were me, I'd be like, we're not messing with this at all. I'll let people just hate Thor. Everything's fine. Everything's going okay. But they bring in Taika Waititi and he comes in and he brings in his improvisational style and they, you can tell they had fun making that movie and then suddenly, now I want to be Chris Hemsworth. So, and I just, before I used to just want his body. Now I want his soul. Okay, well, you're listening to me, Hemsworth. I'm coming for you. I, I, I don't listen to this. <laughs> I remember visiting the set during the filming of Ragnarok and We'd done these set visits multiple times, and we're sitting in a room. We wait for uh, Hemsworth that comes in. He comes in smiling. He's laughing. He sits in a chair, throws his legs over the side of the chair. He's like, how's it going? And you, just the, the, the tone of like his conversation, the feel on the set. Kids are running around. It was like just joyous. 
That's awesome. Yeah. That's that what you want to hear. I, and I love it. And, you know, and I'm looking forward to what they do with Love and Thunder. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Gentlemen, thank you for being on this week of Marvel. Thank you for having us, Ryan. All right. Big thanks to Greg and Nick for letting us uh, creep into their office home and do the interview. Ricky, we talked about art and monsters and stuff like that. Indeed. So I think our question of the week this week should be... It's obvious. August? No, it's obvious. Oh, the question of the week is, who is your favorite Marvel monster artist? You heard from us. We want to hear from you. You can tweet your answers using hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel. You can email them to twinpodcast.marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. I feel like I have to mention Ryan Stegman or he's just going to bully me the next time I see him. It's true. So I'm going to say that Ryan Stegman is the best comic book artist that's ever worked in comics. I love you, Ryan. Hey, Ricky looks so under duress right now. You're safe here, Ricky. You're with us. He's been on my speakerphone on my cell phone this whole time. Oh, no. Yeah. Stegman, go away. He's listening. Community section now. Let's hear from you guys. First up is an email from Jiggy Cruz. He says, hi, Ryan, Lorraine, JMI, and Triple P, and Ricky. Answering the question of the week, of course, Spider-Man, the animated series in the 90s with Christopher Daniel Barnes would be close to my heart, but... I was gifted this VHS tape growing up. It was a one-shot episode of the X-Men called Pride of the X-Men. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Yeah. The animation was top-notch. Nightcrawler in that lone episode stole the show. He was so selfless and just showed what an X-Men should be. Uh, this is coming from our friend Jiggy Cruz. He says, warm regards from Manila. And uh, this was in response to, what is your favorite Marvel animated project do you have favorite marvel animated could be a show uh a special a movie probably i mean spider-verse is incredible it's like oh my god did i not talk about how did you let me not talk about my favorite marvel movie yeah it's next level it is better than every i can't wait to show Catherine grace that movie yeah talk about choking up oh my god um and so, I don't know, outside of Spider-Verse, like the X-Men 90s cartoon, like you said earlier, it got me into a huge part of what got me into comics. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good one. We had a Facebook message in here from Sullivan Carter. Uh, he says, hey, Ryan, love the podcast you do. I started listening to Marvel's Pull List with you and Tucker in February. have already listened to every backlogged episode and on the edge of my seat for new episodes. I love hearing this, but it also baffles me because the, yeah. they're like weekly, right? It's like right. we tell you what to read before you go to the comic book shop. Yeah. Uh, and hearing that people go back to read them, I guess it makes sense. If you just can't read everything, this right. will help you like, oh, I might have missed this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's an important thing. So thank you for that, Sullivan. He says, I recently got a subscription to History of the Marvel Universe. I love history and I've been trying to get as much Marvel knowledge as I can. Good book. It's like my favorite thing in the world. And then you guys aren't ready for Fantastic Four Grand Design. Yeah. I like the annotations in the back of the history of the Marvel Universe too because so I didn't know those were there in the first in the first time I read the first issue and then I got to the back and I was like, oh no, this is a whole nother issue I get to read. Yeah. Awesome. It's great. But then this relates to that. Sullivan says, here's my question. I had known the What If comics to be a diary of alternative universes cataloged by Uatu the Watcher, but in the series history of the Marvel Universe, certain What If comics are referenced as source material. Can you clarify that for me? Love your shows and would love to meet you and Tucker at Comic-Con one day. Um, and so uh, this one is a great question. He says, maybe other people are confused as well. I agree, Sullivan. And it had been nudging my brain, but I've been so busy and I forgot. So yeah. I emailed Tom Brevoort yep. uh, and the rest of the editorial team on that. And Tom responded, quote, depends on which references specifically. In particular, what if number four is explicitly set in the regular Marvel universe? Which reminded me that a lot of these stories do take place in uh, what it would be looked at as canon of the Marvel Universe yeah. that just then diverges. Right. So there are a lot of elements that they're pulling from those what-if stories that we would look at as canon and has just not been cataloged in regular you know, non-what-if stories, but those have been considered real and authentic to the main Marvel Universe. Right, yeah. There's just a point in the story later in the what-if issue that suddenly it becomes a different timeline. Yeah. Ricky, thank you so much for being here for yeah, this week. I had fun. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You guys are fun. Yeah, we're pretty okay. Oh, Ricky, you're here for the first time we have credits on the show. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Persia Verlin. X-Men. She's sitting right there. Yep. And Zachary Goldberg, who did help with a whole bunch of stuff this episode. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Don't be rad. You know? Be rad. Ooh, be rad. 
Uh, Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. She's awesome. She spent like 15 minutes with me looking at photos of Catherine Grace today. Uh, so she's the best. Person. Yeah. Yes. Additional production help from Jamie Freverly and Emily Kimura. Special thanks to Captain America. I'm going to read this as it's written on my piece of paper. In our credits for this episode, it says, <clears throat> Special thanks to Captain American. <laughs> Captain American. <laughs> For that fantastic butt. <laughs> you know what? I'm here for it. Uh, so good. Who's responsible for this? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, that's a joke for us. Uh, all right. I'm Rick. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I thought I was Ricky. <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Ricky. And this is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>